Hello, I am Lily Hyam. And I'm Gordon Johnston. Welcome to the Last Question Podcast, a production of DataFest, the ongoing series of data and artificial intelligence innovation events run by the Data Lab, Scotland's innovation centre for data and AI, hosted by the University of Edinburgh. And today, Lily, what do you know about quantum computing? Hmm. Oh, you know, just a few qubits and pieces. <laughs> well, luckily, to, to teach us more, uh, today we are joined by Professor Elham Kishefi, quantum computing professor at the University of Edinburgh. And Elham will also be appearing at DataFest on the 3rd and 4th of November 2022 at the EICC. And we're really excited to have her join us here today. So Elham, thanks for joining us. There is a lot of hype around quantum computing. You can see it in popular culture, TV, films, science magazines, a lot of overestimation, underestimation, uh, and the word quantum has a certain mystique about it. What are some common misconceptions about what quantum computing can achieve? Like what can it do and what can't it do? That's a great question. Okay, so we're going to spend the next few days just talking about that, I guess. (laughs) The point is exactly as you say, the misconception is probably comes from the fact of, you know, what is quantum computing? So let's start from that. So in some extent, quantum computing is another computing device. So you can look at it as another black box that is faster, but it's not like, oh, it's faster. So it's the next big thing that is coming. You know, I just need to upgrade my devices. It's a completely different way of encoding information. So the the excitement among the research and scientists and now entrepreneur and everybody is that is that we have a completely different way compared to zero one and the classical computing that we used to have. So now the mathematics has changed, the physics has changed, the computation encoding has changed, and hence the capacity of these devices. And even more, I want to emphasize, not just that we have a computer that is faster, that's gonna be underestimating. It's just we have a new tools that allow us to approach the problem in a different way. So I think that's more important because at the end of the day, when quantum computer is built and integrated, there will be like HPC computer that is there and will give some, some high performance problem to, to be done there. But what is it so different that lead hence to some of this claim that you were referring to is that we have a different way of thinking about computation. So now, Will that different way of computation allow us to revisit some of the challenges that we have from drug discovery, from you know, new battery discovery to breaking the cybersecurity or not? This is the research. And people would like to claim a lot of things, but that's a path we're going. So I would say that the mysticism of the quantum is more about for the first time we are given a new way of manipulating information, manipulating of the data, manipulating algorithm, and completely revisiting the whole ICT, if you wish. But we need to be careful with this new tool, what we can do, and that's, that's still the ongoing research. At least perfectly into what we we're going to talk about next, actually. Um, so do you, do you think that we're looking at a complete revolution uh, in computing when it comes to quantum computing versus classical computing? Or is it going to be more of like a, a cooperative evolution where they you know, they work together and do different things. I would say it's both, the superposition of both. So it's a little bit referring back. So to some extent, if you want, it is a huge revolution conceptually because 
since the invention of computer science as a field, since the Turing invention of the Turing machine from the first, we had this very well-defined notion of what information is, how do you encode information, how do you manipulate information. So the fact that that concept has completely changed and we have, you know, I don't want to go through the details, what is qubit, what are we doing a vector calculation rather than bit string calculation, but in the abstract way, because you have a completely different notion of information manipulation, you can call it a revolution. You know, scientific revolution. We have, we have, we have changed the language. We discovered new language. But at the same time, when you go, okay, one step back, okay, nice conceptually. We are so excited. Complex theory difference. You know, all of these things uh, manipulate difference. But when you come to the fact, okay, what do we do with these new tools? We are kind of come back to the territory that okay, let's let's work together. Let's see what thing classical computing can do, what things quantum computing can do, and what we can do in a hybrid fashion. So you see, it's sort of a, a double edge that yes, it is revolutionary different, but when I want to talk about, okay, for this particular task, is it completely, do I need to throw classical computer away and quantum can do it all? It is completely wrong. Quantum is very specific in a very particular area, in a very special cases can give advantage, and for the rest of the task, we use the uh, classical. So that's why this notion of hybrid you were mentioning is the model to go, to define who is going to do what. I think even that we've found new ways of doing computing, though, is, is just so exciting because a lot of the limits we have at the moment with technologies is computing power. And if we do find different ways of computing, it opens up new possibilities. And um, it seems that... Um, more use cases become apparent as quantum computing advances that we might not know until we reach each next discovery and then suddenly we find out an amazing thing we can do. I fully agree. This is exactly the way to, to say it, you know, be excited, be inspired that there is there is a new toy in, in front of us, but also be realistic, you know, because we have not given the manual yet. We, we need to build our Lego pieces and need to put it to get together, you know. I think it's right you know if, if you see you know like like all the other you know disrupting new technology when it comes that there is a huge excitement around it and it's it has to be you know because in, i mean i'm not underestimating what is happening if you look at over the last 40 years the the way that quantum can break for example cybersecurity system that we have which we can come talk to about it when the way that we are able to look at some of these you know, many body interaction that we have no capacity to look at them using the classical part as part of it. The way that the physics itself has evolved, you know, going to the manipulation of subatomic level. So all of them are very, very exciting. But precisely what you say, if we if we want to go back and looking at the impact on the society, what is it bringing to society? What to come into the use case? Then there's a lot need to be done. We need to still play around. Maybe we need to have these devices there. Give it to people who are not even scientists to play with. You know, you know we are right now we're thinking about various use cases, but um, I'm I'm sure, like like classical computer science when we invented it in fifties, in sixties, nobody will imagine that we would have a mobile phone and the the most crazy thing that is happening on various app that is going there and enabling so many different notions that we have. So, so I think quantum is like that that we are excited, we know we are seeing something completely revolutionary, 
but how the use case as an application goes, we're just going to sit down and enjoy it and see what will come out of it. I really enjoy that in you know films and TV and everything. Whenever a quantum computer is mentioned, it's almost always like a very large glowing sort of blue electric brain, and that's just that's quantum apparently. You know, I enjoy that sort of nonsense. <laughs> So one of the new things actually that you've been working on, um, we saw that you recently published a paper on verifiable blind quantum computation, which is one of the fields of quantum computing that you originated. Uh, can you tell us what this means for security in quantum computing? Absolutely. That's my favorite question. So, so the point is, you know, coming back also a little bit in the context of um, data lab. So, so let, let me tell you a story a little bit bigger, although the story of discovery of this particular protocol is not like that. But if, if you think of right now, data is the major commodity of this century. No? So, so more people want to produce data, more people want to manipulate data, and more people want to you know, exploit the data. So now, in one hand, quantum computer is another powerhouse to allow us to manipulate data more. You know. With the quantum machine learning, for example, you can dig out more relations out of the data. So, so if now we're looking at it in the quantum computer, enabling even more powerful data manipulation. But as you said, there is another big concern regarding data is the privacy of data. Everybody wants to share data. Everybody wants to exploit the power of data. But how do I ensure also the privacy of the data? So this protocol of blind quantum computing that I co-invented with my collaborator Anne Broadman from Canada and Joe Fitzsimon from Singapore is a theoretical idea of, I think it's now 12, 13 years ago, that we realized, managed to design a protocol that while you use the power of quantum computer that might be sitting in, I don't know, in Google or IBM or um, Amazon or et cetera, your data privacy is completely um, guaranteed. So in a sense that I'm running a computation on a remote quantum computer, but that remote quantum computer, which is enabling this power for me, will not know what is the computation, will not know what algorithm I'm running, would not learn anything about my data. Such things exist even classically. Fully homomorphic encryption is another mechanism that you can do data manipulation, but each one of them has its pro and con. So, for us, this protocol, this blind quantum computing, it was a, almost like saying that it's enough to have one quantum computer, and this quantum computer are very much like a you know, mainframe idea that is not everybody would have a, a little laptop in their home. You know, it's not going to be the case. For a long period, we would have this quantum server sitting somewhere. And so we provide the data security for this, uh, this protocol that we have, that you're at home, you're using minimum quantum capacity. You only need to connect your quantum internet and send your data in that way. And then verifiability is some added value that comes on top of it because it goes hand in hand. Quantum is so powerful that you cannot even classically simulate it. So now imagine somebody, the quantum computing center is providing you that service but you don't even know if they really have quantum computer or not. They don't, you don't even know if they're doing what you're asking. You're supposed to pay them money, but are they really providing the service that you're doing? Actually, is the result of this quantum computer that I'm getting, is it good result so I can go run away and drug discovery and try to do something? So the verifiable protocol that we have, it's not only provide the privacy of your data manipulation, 
but it also gives you the guarantee that yes, it is quantum. Yes, the data has been correctly computed. You can get it. So it is this integrity and the privacy of the data is guaranteed through this protocol that we have designed, which is the foundation of the startup that I co-founded because we believe this, this, this is something that almost any quantum computing server has to provide in order to unlock the potential of the computation power. Could you tell us a bit more about your startup and um, you know, how it came to be and you know, what you guys are doing, what your plans for the future are? Absolutely, you know, this is like a, it's almost like my other baby. My son is almost jealous of my startup because he said it's like it's like the the brother who's taking all the attention. So the very cloud is come really as a natural evolution of it. You know, you know, I never imagined I'm going to become an entrepreneur, but everything in quantum is accidental. So so once we started inventing this blind quantum computing protocol almost 15 years ago, and I start seeing that scientifically how. It has this very practical impact. So of course, it was a lot of theoretical work we developed. There is lots of students, lots of researchers that we have collaborated uh, with part of it. But that that evolution naturally become made me aware that actually something very much practical you can do. Eventually, when the quantum computer exists, somebody needs to provide this security and privacy, and we have all those tools. And you know, in, in a in the usual story, not everything can be done just within an academic. You need to have some sort of acceleration. So I realized it's no longer about the number of grounds and paper that I write. If I really want to see blind computation being a service that has been implemented day to day, I need to go to the next step and talk to a few colleagues, Mark Kaplan, uh, the, another co-founder and the CEO of the company, and Josh Nunn. Another uh, colleague who is an expert in photonic quantum computing and the hardware side. So we put our heads together and we thought this is a good time. So it started five years ago, actually. This was way before the hype when, when not every day there would be a company. But we really believe this long-term vision that we would provide the security of data centers. So there will be the quantum data centers. And you see all those devices that is in my background. So there would be, we would be building the client interface that how a client will connect through our platform and it's getting the whole privacy of the computation. For context for our listeners, uh, the images that Elham referred to are um, some pictures in her Zoom background, which are some boxes with wires coming out of them. <laughs> One of the fears of uh, the advancements in massive parallel computing, which obviously quantum computing is, is losing the ability to encrypt data securely. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the solutions that quantum computing provides as well as raising the issue itself? So exactly, so just to put the context, we always say this, this phrase is that in quantum gives with one hand whatever it takes from with the other hand. So probably you have heard that if quantum computer exists, you know, thanks to this amazing uh, algorithm which is called Shor's algorithm, the RSA, which is the most standard uh, scheme that exists for the security, will break down. So the source factoring algorithm isn't is a threat to the current uh, security system, and uh, so that's why we call quantum is disruptive. But at the same time, quantum offers a solution, and the uh, the solution that is uh, existing for the cybersecurity is coming to flavor to flavor. So something that we call post quantum security. So these are in fact not quantum solution, they are classical solution. There are 
other problem, which is not like factoring, but there are other new problems that people have discovered that they believe even quantum computer cannot break them. So these are classical solutions that they are not provable. We need to be careful. They are, they are believed, at least for currently, Peter Shore had not come up with a solution to break those problems as well. And there was this big competition, NIST competition launch that they are trying to standardize what are those classical uh, algorithm good to be replaced for the current system. So this is a very short-term solution, if you like. This is called post-quantum solution. And it's a solution that many people are favoring it because it's still classical. So essentially, you can migrate. But there's another solution, and which is the half of the other communities providing, and that's the quantum cryptography solution, in the sense that, like, like what we do in also in very cloud, that now instead of encoding your data classically and build your encryption based on the hardness of some problem, like factoring is hard or learning with error uh, is hard, we actually completely encode information differently. We are encoding information quantumly, so. Our secret data are encoded using the, um, for example, polarization of the photon or completely this quantum information encoding that I was referring to. So now the hardness of this encryption, the security of this encryption is not just because a problem, a mathematical problem is hard. It's just that because the laws of physics tells you that. The laws of physics at the microscopic at the, uh, quantum mechanic is saying that a quantum state cannot precisely copy. A quantum state cannot be measured without being disturbed. So we take the axiom of quantum mechanics as the principle of our cryptography, and we're building the complete new way of distributing the key. So you see that this, this, this is, again, you can even say that even here, there is a hybrid solution that when do you use post-quantum? For example, post-quantum cryptography is very good for the public encryption, whereas quantum cryptography is the ideal suitable things for sharing secret key among you know symmetric scenario and you in combining it with the symmetric cryptography or quantum cryptography is good for i don't know like quantum money fungible token so again in my research team we're looking at the both what can we do with the post quantum cryptography which is efficient because it's classical and what things is required is higher level of security that we bring quantum and again, the hybrid is the only solution for work. Mm, so interesting. I'm glad you asked that question. Yeah. <laughs> in your opinion, how will the advancements in quantum computing affect the world of artificial intelligence? Do you think it will get us any closer to general artificial intelligence over a narrow artificial intelligence? For me, aspect of AI that I understand and I can comment for it is like, you know, what can we gain out of the data? You know, if you look at this, this is the, the biggest success of the AI that we look at the massive amount of data that we have and how do we get information out of it? And in that context, I think quantum is going to be very helpful, very relevant and revolutionizing it because it gives you a more, more powerful tool, you know, is, is when eventually we have this powerful quantum computer for sure, quantum is going to enhance our capacity to manipulating the data. But I think what you're asking is much deeper. You're asking is actually, forget about just playing with the data. Can we completely revolutionize new way of looking at AI? I'm a little bit hesitant to claim. You know, I don't, I don't have any indication to say that, okay, 
we are looking at information encoding so differently. We are knowing that you know how more powerful we are in the manipulation of data. Does that mean that we are going to rediscover the way that brain is functioning and then reproduce it? I don't know. I have not seen enough um, evidence to be able to claim something on it. I, I just, I just optimistically, since that's that's the, all about the data lab. Optimistically, I feel like the more powerful tools we have, it allows us the better we understand the challenging problem we have. So the challenge of AI, maybe maybe there is some 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 sort of other clever way of things coming in. So it's just a more powerful tool to be added to our, if you like, you know, our toolkit to, to explore with. We've talked about a lot of really exciting things in quantum computing, but I know that there are some problems that we face when we're um, maintaining these computers and maintaining um, states of particles. Uh, we learned that decoherence in quantum computing is the loss of information from a system into the environment, and this is a big technical challenge. Have we had any recent advancements in fixing this problem so that these computers become more reliable? It's a very good question. So, so all of us, the community, the collectively, our challenge is noise. You know, this magical state, exactly as you refer to the decoherence, this magical state that gives you this power, but they also decoherence because they have interaction with the with the environment. So, in in a sense, the solution has been always discovered also very early on. Again, with Shore and Andrustin and many other people, which is the error correction. So we know that the devices are going to be noisy. In fact, even our classical computers are noisy. But the reason that uh, we never bother about the decoherence or the noise of classical computer because we have a very good, efficient classical error correction technique that is integrated on our devices. So you and I will never even hear about it because it's always dealing with it. So for quantum, such solutions exist and they are amazing breakthroughs coming almost every year. You know, some of my colleagues are experts in the quantum error correcting codes. And what does it mean breakthrough coming? It means that they're making them also efficient in the sense that in order to deal with the noise, you take, you know, one qubit, you encode it in the hundred qubits. So you can look at the, you know, in a very simplistic way of putting it, you look at the behavior of this hundred qubit to be able to guess what is the correct behavior. And hence you get out of this hundred physical qubit, one good logical qubit. So we, we know all of these things, but the existing method, they are order of like 1000 and 2000 overhead. So indeed, if the day that we're building a 1 million physical qubit, we are good. We can, out of that 1 million, roughly, we can get 100 uh, logical qubit and be good to go through. So I would say the breakthrough that we see both on the experiment and on the theory that people have the solution, they're coming with a very good uh, theoretical as well as demonstration of experiment and the roadmap of all the big company, if you look at, for example, IBM, they have in their roadmap that they would eventually get fault tolerance, but we don't have them now. And that's that's why I would keep coming, but we need to be very careful about these cases. But most of these application, amazing application of quantum will be available to us when we have this fault tolerant quantum computer. And while we know what is the roadmap, we're still not there. Is it going to take five years or 10 years or 20 years? We don't know. But let's, let me put it here. For the last 
50 years, or not 50 is exaggerated, maybe last 40 years when we start thinking about quantum computer, we knew about this problem and every year we made a progress. So until today, we have not found any theoretical reason why we cannot achieve fault tolerant universal quantum computer. So to me, that's that's a progress because nobody has come up and said, look, there is no way that you can have error correcting. There is no way that you can maintain the noise. It's just a matter of with the engineering problem that they know better and better how to manipulate, how to isolate physically the system, reducing the noise, producing a paid gate fidelity, hand in hand with the theoretical work of coming up with more clever encoding and et cetera, we will reach out to that threshold that yes, indeed, this is the number of qubits we need to have and we can implement the error correction. It's a, it's a big challenge, the real, real challenge of it. But the fact that bigger and bigger quantum computers are emerging from the, you know, the giant of the hardware platform provider and the fact that many, many clever people are focusing on the question of error correction, it makes me completely confident that we will have these devices. Mm. It makes me think uh, about it as like a design problem where you might have only a certain amount of qubits you can have and you have to choose whether to put those towards uh, error correction or more uh, computations. Um, but maybe that comes from me being ignorant of how easy it is to add qubits to the system. Um, can you just keep adding more? So it's, 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 not, it's not too far from the reality. So the point is that in, indeed, you know, we will, we will, let's say that like right now, or within a few years, we will have a 1000 qubit machine. Right now we have more order of 100 qubit. And these qubits that we have, because they are too noisy, they are not perfect qubit, but because also the number is 100, precisely what you say, the design principle is that, well, let's use all of them for computation. We cannot do encoding because if you use all of this 100 qubit for error correction, we just get one qubit for computation and we cannot do a much. So as a result, and something that you might have heard is noisy intermediate scale quantum computer, the NISC devices. So right now, a lot of people coming up with solution that maybe even with the noisy computer, I can do something. And that's, that's another topic we can talk. So we are at the area that we don't have the luxurious of using our qubit for error correcting and computation. So we use all of them for computation. But indeed, when the number of qubit becomes you know, bigger and bigger, if you are in 1,000 qubit, we might not go all the way to use all of them for the full error correction. There is something called intermediate. You know, Maybe we do error detection, or maybe we do some sort of intermediate error correction that taking care of the majority of the noise. So we, we're trying to precisely do this design. Okay, I have 1,000 qubit. If I want to do again, use all of the 1,000 qubit for error correction, it's not going to work out. So can I do something in between that it's reducing the noise and I use other schemes like the verifiable computation or error detection that allow me to do try and error, but I do my computation till, till we're reaching to that 1 million, till we indeed add more and more and more uh, qubit so that we have, you know, we can, we can essentially integrate error correction at the, at the system level. You don't even think about it, almost like classical computer. I use everything, you know, the device that I have is a hundred qubit quantum computer, but they, in fact, it's a hundred, which comes out of millions of qubit that has been providing that. If you're as interested in quantum computing as we are, uh, you can come and see Elham at uh, DataFest. 
uh, and at Data Summit on the 3rd and 4th of November 2022. And we're really, really excited to have her there. And with that being said, I think it might be time for some wild speculation. Yes, this is the part of the show where we ask our guests to go beyond the scope of their research or expertise and engage in some wild speculation about their field. Elham, what do you think the future of quantum computing holds? Speculate wildly. <laughs> well, it's like my wildest dreams, and yet, you know, a bit self-serving. I, I really want to believe quantum can solve the issue of the privacy and trust. You know, this is something that I repeat a lot, but we know that, you know, there is so many things happen with the Snowden, with the so many, you know, issue of the privacy of the data that almost everybody has lost the trust in the data, the in internet, in communication, in sharing their knowledge and putting their picture in the in the internet. And I I really feel quantum, okay, we're talking about the wildness, okay, but I really think that we can recover that. I, I believe you know quantum can enable and trust in the same that continue sharing the data we continue coming together and making sure that all the power comes together and yet we provide the trust that we don't believe this is in hand of some powerful form of manipulation so i i believe that quantum will bring trust back to humanity if i need to say something completely <laughs> crazy but that's that's my dream that's a really nice utopian vision maybe that is crazy <laughs> who knows i really hope it does happen Elham will be appearing at Data Summit on the 3rd and 4th of November 2022 at the EICC in Edinburgh. Listeners can use the code TLQPODCAST, all caps, to receive an exclusive 20% off the ticket price. So make sure you get yours now. Just visit datafest.global for all the information you could possibly need. So finally, on to the last question. Each episode, we pose our listeners a question and invite people from around the world to offer their thoughts. We'll read the most interesting ones out on the next episode. Our question this week is, how will quantum computing change the world? Well, we're really excited to hear what people have to say. You can tweet your answers at us at datafest underscore, or you can email us datafest at thedatalab.com. And that is it from us today. I will be back next time with more insight, innovation, and wild speculation. Uh, feel free to get in touch to say hi or to suggest a topic or to make some corrections. Uh, we love hearing from you all. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another episode of The Last Question. Bye.